Welcome to Strange Talk. Okay, it should be good to go then. Okay, cool. All right, let us know. Yeah, when to jump in. Yeah, do. I'm just gonna keep it exactly like this, just so. Because, <laughs> all right. Um, I guess fuck it. We'll just start it like this now. Then, all, all right. right. Fuck all right. It. So go ahead, introduce yourselves. Hey guys, I'm Dan. I'm Ken. We're from Kills, Kills and, and Chills. Yeah. Wow, we sound like a band. <laughs> yes. Hey guys, this is Dan, the DNA strip. <laughs> <laughs> it do, it does. It kind of seems like an interviewing, like two like like musicians or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's literally what it sounds uh, like. Nice. I like it. Welcome to um, an episode of Strange Talk. Welcome yes. To, welcome to the night. Welcome to the night. Welcome to the jungle, baby. <laughs> so I decided to invite Kills and Chills to join me for an episode of the cringeworthiness that is Strange Talk podcast. <clears throat> so if you're not familiar with uh, Kills and Chills, they are also a fellow true crime podcast, but they specialize specifically in conspiracies and you guys this whole like feng shui, you guys this whole theme is like one of you does like specifically like murder type or like which is where mm-hmm. you get the kills and then the other one does like conspiracies or like uh paranormal games or just paranormal, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so there it goes. So I decided that it would be cool for us to do an episode together. So I will be, they're doing an episode with me for my podcast, and I'm going to be doing an episode with them for their podcast. So I thought it would be cool. Yeah. It better be. It better be cool. All right. So do you guys want to go first or show what you brought to the table? Sure. Yeah, we can go first. Oh, yeah, do it. Okay. All right, we're... Okay. Okay. Loves it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, what we have for you today mm-hmm. is a mystery. It's a mysterious death. No, There's there's conspiracies to it. There's death. There's death. There's um, a possible murder. There's a possible murder. There is... Infidelity. Infidelity. It ha- This story has it all. Oh, you man. have you have you have kids a, a, a looming divorce. You have a looming divorce. You have Harry Potter. You have aliens. You have two nannies. Wait, Harry it, this story has. Yeah, yes. actually, yeah, it, yeah, it technically does. Okay. Okay, so I have for you the murder, or I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> the mysterious death of Paulette Guevara Fara. Um, so Paulette was a four-year-old girl. Uh, she lived in Mexico. Uh, she was born on, uh, July 20th, 2005 to Mauricio Guevara and Lizette Fara. Um, born prematurely after only 25 weeks, she ended up like weighing one pound and seven ounces. So she, she was small. Yeah. She was a small baby. So she was a preemie? Um, yeah, she was a preemie. Okay. Um, wasn't expected to live long, but That's she sad. defied the odds. Yeah, she like it's like a success story. <laughs> she she lived longer than expected. 
Um, the doctors did warn uh, the family that she would never be able to walk, talk, or live unaided, basically. She would never have a normal life. She wouldn't be truly independent, ever. Okay. Uh, due to all of these medical issues, though, um, her parents decided that it would be best to get to live in nannies. Um, their names were Martha and Erica Casimiro. Um, so basically, they were just doing, like, uh, they were looking after the kids and, you know, helping out around the house. Um, they helped out with Paulette, who, you know, literally needed to be looked after, like, 24 hours. She always had to have uh, supervision. And um, they looked after her and her older sister, who was also named Lizette. So uh, Paulette had a lot of developmental uh, disabilities, which affected primarily the left side of her body. Um, she had speaking problems as well, and she couldn't walk either. Um, her speaking problems, which girl, same. <laughs> I, too, have speaking problems. Same. Um, her speaking problems, she couldn't form, like, complete sentences, but she could, like, she could give you the gist of what she wanted. Like, if she was thirsty, she'd say, like, mom, water. Like, but she couldn't, like, form, like, you know, sentence, coherent sentences. Okay. Okay. And so it starts to get interesting. On March 21st, 2010, uh, the family goes away on, like, a trip, and they, co they come back on March 21st to the house. Um, the family was doing, like, separate trips. The dad took the daughters, and, and they went out. And the mom had a, sec a separate trip where she went out supposedly with uh, her friend, though it was later uncovered that she was actually having an, having an affair. The, the mother was? Yeah, the mother was having an affair, and she actually went uh, to go party with her boyfriend. And nice. like Yeah, and basically, <laughs> like, you, you know these adults, they were, like, out raving, fucking drinking. Just having a fucking They were out raving. <laughs> they are out raving. <laughs> I don't know what people did back in 2010. Um... But yeah, you know, she was she was drinking. She was she was drinking. She was drinking. She was thotting around. She's getting um, it in. She was getting, well, she was it, getting in. it in. She was getting digged down. Um, so, so eventually, she's like, "All right, time to go meet my family," and the, <laughs> the family reconvenes back at their place, um, which was in Wixquilucan, Wixquilucan. Uh, in the state of Mexico. Okay, well, it's good that you can say it because I know I sure as hell can't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I have to ask for, like, pronunciation on this. Okay, so, you know, they head back. Um, the family, uh, the, or, sorry, the father with the kids, they arrive home at around 9 p.m. The mother is, like, you know, also there waiting. Um, Liz Lizette, the mom, she puts Paulette to bed and... Kisses her goodnight, and unfortunately, that was the last time that she would see her alive. The next morning, um, the nanny uh, goes, or like the, both the nannies, they go into seven-year-old Lizette's room uh, to get her ready for school. They uh, walk her to the school bus and wait with her uh, until about 7 a.m. When, when the school bus comes to pick her up. At around 8 a.m., um, the two nannies, they go into Paulette's room. And they realize that she's missing. <clears throat> so they immediately begin to look for her. They look around the room. Um, they look in the surrounding rooms. They look in the parents' bedroom. She's nowhere in the apartment. So, and like this little girl can't walk at all. So like, where did she go? 
So where does she come from? Where, where does she, she go? go? Where does she come from? Cotton Eye Joe. Um, <laughs> so, uh, um, oh, sorry, I lost my place. <laughs> mm. Interesting. Interesting. You can't distract me. Like, I'm no, sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry. Well, okay, so they begin looking for her. And when they literally see no trace of her, and again, this little girl can't get up and walk out on her own, they, they start to call the parents. Uh, but the parents, they're not too worried about this. They, they're like, mm-hmm. oh, that sucks. Yeah, like, literally, like, they come in and they don't really search. They don't really help. The mother's, like, supposedly at the, at the table drinking coffee. Uh, the dad's just, like, going around peeking into rooms but not really, like, you know doing a solid job at looking for her like like when you're playing hide and seek with a kid and you don't really want to find it that's so basically he, what's going he's on basically like lifting up books and looking under there and it's like oh she's not here is that yeah. like t- okay yeah exactly so uh the dad eventually mauricio he uh decides to call his sister to tell her the news and the sister's like even she's she's more worried than the own father is She's I thought you were going to say the owner. I was like, is this a dog? <laughs> I'm dead. She, yeah, she's more worried about, you know, the situation than, than the dad is. Uh, and she's actually the one that eventually calls the police because the parents, they still hadn't called any. And the sister is the one that eventually is the one that calls the police. So, like, I mean, I don't know, guys. Something to, sus. Some, yeah, it's not looking too good for the parents. So... A huge search is started to look for this little girl. I mean, she's a little four-year-old girl. She's disabled. She can't, you know, walk, talk. You know, if she is missing, she's, like, in danger. So, like, okay. So the cops come, and they're like, all right, guys, let's let's, let's secure the crime scene. Except they didn't. <laughs> they let everyone <laughs> into that house and, like, trample all over the room. They basically were only looking because they thought it was a kidnapping. They went in and looked to see if the windows had been broken in, if, you know, there was a forced entry anywhere. But they lived on a second, like, floor. Like, apartment. Yeah, Yeah. they lived in an apartment complex, and, like, they weren't on the first floor. The only place you could have come in from was the window. And the mom, when she was being interviewed, she said it was kind of strange because she didn't hear the dogs barking. So, like... They're like, well, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you guys is basically what happened. So on March 27th, the mom is, you know, holding interviews. She invites the press to come into the room. This is basically like the John Benet Ramsey case of Mexico is what it was. Uh, she invites the, the media into Paulette's room and she holds interviews uh, while sitting in Paulette's bed, holding her pajamas, talking about her. Just saying, oh, my, my daughter, you know, she was a great kid, never threw tantrums. Uh, she was a sweet little angel. Uh, so it's it's weird. It is weird. It's, it's a strange. Like, they didn't get a – if it was a kidnapping, they didn't get any ransom notes. They didn't, you know, no one contacted them. Were they but, like were they like a popular well known family or were they like rich? Were they well off? They actually were. They lived in a very good area. They um you know, the apartment complex that they lived in was a very nice one too. It okay. had like security and stuff like that. Um so on March twenty ninth, uh there's actually like a press conference and the attorney general for the state of Mexico 
makes an announcement. And I think Ken is going to take over from here. Yeah. Okay. Um, I love responsibility. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, yeah, like she said, on March 29th, Alberto Baz, 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 the attorney general for the state of Mexico announced that he felt the parents and nannies were in on the whole shindig. Um, he stated that there were too many inconsistencies and then, and that they knew more than they were leading on. Another factor to why the parents were the main suspects was because when Lizette, the mother did the interviews, like Dan said, um, she seemed cold and like really off putting. And at one point even said, and this is a quote, this isn't me anymore. Maybe she was taken by aliens or perhaps even Harry Potter. Yeah. (laughs) What the fuck kind of fucking quoted like that? Like, like, I understand people like deal with grief differently. You just fucking said that you're. Oh, Lord. but yeah, but this is your daughter. This yeah. is someone that you birthed that came out of you. Maybe she was taken by Harry Potter. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> so stupid. Okay, but on March thirty first, twenty ten, investigators on the scene noticed an odd smell coming from Paulette's room. And that was when they discovered the decomposing body of the four-year-old. She was wrapped in blankets under the foot of the bed. She was wedged in between the mattress and the bed frame. So, yikes. Yikes. Um, An autopsy determined that the cause of death was asphyxiation that obstructed her respiratory airways and compressed her abdominal thorax. I call bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) So when this was made public, the parents kind of, like, turned on each other and started throwing the blame around. Uh, At this point, the attorney general, again, had also come out to say that he believed foul play was totally what was happening. And I lost my spot. Okay. And that he felt Lizette was to blame, like, specifically her. Um, She underwent a psychological evaluation at one point. And was found to have a personality disorder, which would explain why she acted so detached when speaking to the press. Um, And after a while, oddly enough, the attorney general came out to retract his statements about her being to blame. Mm -hmm. um, And said that there was no signs of foul play and that she must have rolled into the crevice and suffocated. uh... Which sounds so stupid. (laughs) Yeah, because if you, like... If you Google it and look at how she pictures, ended up wedged in there. the way she slept, she's a little disabled girl. Like, they were making sure that she wasn't going to roll off the bed. So she had, like, these two full-body pillows, like, on either side of her. And they would lay her down in the middle. And then she had tons of blankets. So it made no sense for her. A, a little girl who had trouble walking couldn't function, you know, on her own. It makes very little sense that this little girl flipped herself around so that her head is, like, you know, towards the foot of the bed. And for her to fall in and wrap herself around in blankets. It's just... It doesn't seem uh, plausible. Like, I'm looking at the pictures and, like, the way they're saying that she would have, like, fallen in there makes absolutely no fucking sense. Mm -hmm. It's not possible. And then I saw videos of the crime scene, and it looks like there must have been, like, at least three... Okay, there's at least three sheets in the bed, and then one giant-ass, like, comforter is what it is. 
it just makes no sense. No, that's really odd. You. Yeah. Um. Okay. Yeah. So. But forensic experts claim that Paulette could not have been dead for more than three days when she was found. And she was literally, allegedly, in the crevice for nine days. Um, Another examiner even refused to sign the death certificate because he did not believe she had actually been dead for nine days. Like, it just did not make sense. Mm -hmm. So the controversy comes in with just how exactly the body managed to be lodged into the bed for nine days without anyone noticing. It's said that over 200 people went in and out of the room and investigated in the room. Like, they literally did their forensic crap. Yeah. Um, it's also said... Oh, yeah. Search dogs even failed to detect the body. Which, mm-hmm. if there was a body yeah. there, the dog would obviously know that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, people obviously think that there was no way she could have been there for that long. She must have been moved there. From somewhere else. Yeah, like killed in a separate location. Yeah. And just put the body there? Mm, Yeah. yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Didn't you have a theory as to where she had been? Like, Yeah, there was a theory that maybe she had been hit. Because they had medical bills, like, through the roof. Um, You know, she she required a lot of medical assistance. She was in and out of doctor's appointments. So maybe they... The theory was that the parents were like, let's stage a kidnapping. We'll get sympathy. We'll get donations. And we'll take care of the medical bills. And I was like, great. So that, so to accomplish this, they say that they hid her in a vent and they had to gag her because she was vocal. That they stuffed her in a vent and gagged her. and Or that they put her in the elevator shaft and gagged her. But because she needed round-the-clock care... And when the media, like, got involved in, you know, it was this, like, circus, the parents weren't able to, like, go back and retrieve her without getting caught. And she, like, basically died from neglect. And then they moved her body back to the room was one of the theories. Yeah. Yeah. So that's wild. Yeah. Um, the nannies even recounted over and over that they checked the bed multiple times. Mm-hmm. And Paulette's friends and family members, or not Paulette's friends, Lizette's friends. Um, Lizette's friends and family members even slept on the bed on several occasions, and no one ever noticed that there was a dead child. Um, okay, yeah, okay. Here, here's where we take up. So the couple eventually did split, but there were rumors that Mauricio, the father, was friends with the attorney general, the one who came out and blamed everything on Lizette. And that he had or- helped him orchestrate a huge cover-up. So basically, mm-hmm. to me, it sounds like, yeah, these parents did fucking kill yeah. this child. And the attorney general was totally in on it, which doesn't surprise me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We all know Mexico. government. Yeah, Mexico <laughs> is corrupt. Yeah. Um, but not to sound like total whack jobs, I do have some, some stuff to, like, discredit some of these theories, I guess. <laughs> I guess I guess I, to. Yeah, I guess it's my job to, to report the facts. We're not talking, not talking facts, facts, are we? Okay, so some of the facts: the dogs that were brought in, they weren't cadaver dogs. Oh, sorry. <laughs> let, let me start over. Okay, the dogs that were brought in, they weren't cadaver dogs. Um, they were basically just sent there to like pick up the scent. 
and see like if there was a trail like that led out Mm -hmm. but the dogs never reacted to it which indicates that Paulette had always been in that room where though like at the foot of the bed because they weren't cadaver dogs they were trained to like follow scents and they didn't lead anywhere they they were just like yeah her scents all over here well, yeah, it's her had, room. yeah, yeah, it's her room. But had they like, ta- ta- like, had someone taken her out, they would have like followed a trail out. Is okay. The I theory. Sure. Yeah. But wouldn't they still be able to pick up like the scent of the body? Because I imagine it would be decomposing at that point. Yeah, but they weren't cadaver dogs. They weren't trained to like. like they, they could smell it, but it's like what the. Like, yeah, they're like I don't know what that is. Yeah, they're like what the fuck is that? Bro. <laughs> Um, yeah, that was basically for, for that one. Um, another theory is that maybe the mother was planning on divorcing the dad and, you know, it sucks, but like usually sometimes mothers, they usually get, you know, the full uh, custody of the kids. So maybe she didn't want like a disabled child tagging along with her <laughs> <and> boyfriend. <laughs> Uh, yeah as shitty as that sounds maybe that was it maybe the mom wanted to start a brand new life and she didn't see paulette as a part of it you know what honey i really want to live this new life with my boyfriend but you're just disabled and i don't like that oh my god you don't match my gucci purse (laughs) you don't go with my aesthetic yeah basically (laughs) oh god okay um there was um oh hold on obviously and me obviously edit this out i'm just gonna leave it in here all of it all of that's it that's what she tells me to edit something i like leave it in me damn it <laughs> you can't win like you repeat the same thing like three times yeah and i'm like like i'll listen to it monday morning i'm like what the fuck man <laughs> <laughs> okay Okay, there was a fourth theory, which is what, like, kind of, like... That's not as spooky the way you said that. I'm okay. excited. No, 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 no. Oh, let, okay. let me start over now, because I said fourth, but I don't know how many theories we've said. <laughs> Two. <laughs> Two, okay. There was another theory that reminded me of the JonBenet case. Uh, basically, that the parents, you know... The dad knows that the mom's cheating. He knows that he went out to the, wait, <laughs> he knows he went out, you know, to party and get digged down by some other dude. <laughs> so they're fighting. And, you know, the kids, they hear the fight. Paulette starts crying. Lizette, the older sister, goes into the the sister's baby sister's room. And drowns her. Drowns, yeah. Drowns her. Uh, yeah, drowns her. Drowns her. <laughs> Basically, yeah, that, you know, in trying to, like, shut her up, she accidentally kills her. (gasps) What? And the parents, like, cover it up just so she won't, you know, face any any consequences. (laughs) Fuck, I can't talk. Uh, But, yeah, that, I mean. That? mm -hmm. I I don't know. I believe it. You you could believe it? Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Siblings are evil. (laughs) A little. (laughs) But... But yeah, because the nannies, I've seen, I saw interviews of them because they recreated the way uh, they made the bed. And like at one point, while Paulette is still there, no one has found her yet. 
the nanny is like making the bed and she puts her she puts her hands where Paulette is and she doesn't feel her. And I find that very hard to believe that like she she didn't feel her and like even the nannies they're like they like pled to the police are like please like reopen this case and like investigate it as a murder because we swear she wasn't in there. Like the nannies were like Ugh. the wow. nannies want justice see this is just one of those cases where you like money gets you out of things money and connections yeah 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 that's that's what we have (laughs) (laughs) oh that's a good one i i mean i feel like i already have a theory but i mean i imagine it's like the same thing as like everybody else thought i feel maybe the mom was cheating already prior to when whatever i forgot her name already i'm horrible but when when she died already um, so I think maybe they, the, the father never knew that the mother, his wife was cheating mm-hmm. until after the murder. But I think maybe they just felt like they couldn't take care of her anymore. And the medical expenses were just like piling up and they just thought like, fuck it. I, I don't want to deal with it anymore. And they just decided to like, t- just ace her, just decided to just fucking yeah. take her out. Yeah. And I realized we forgot to mention this, but um, there were stains on the mattress, and th- okay, before her death, shortly before her death, she did urinate herself, and the urine stain on the mattress matched like where her body was. It was like right around her pelvis area, so we know for sure she was there during that time when when she ur- urinated herself, and then there was also like decomposing fluids like c- coming out of her body. And those also match up to where her body was located and to where, you know, the mattresses. If, like, they came out of her mouth, like, they were, um, you know, they were there. Like, the stains were there. And also, this is an interesting fact that I found, like, like today, that she died with, like, her fingers in her mouth. She used to, like, do that for comfort. <laughs> and, like, and they said if she, if she died with her fingers in her mouth, you know, she probably died slowly while comforting herself. Oh, uh, did they? Did the did the autopsy ever show how she died? It was through asphyxiation, yeah. right? Yeah. So she, su- she suffocated, mm-hmm. and it and they couldn't determine whether it was prior to her. Like, I imagine she suffocated because she was wedged between, so, she, like her chest or her neck, probably couldn't yeah. expand or her something. Like her, her her chest couldn't expand, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, like, her face was, like, too pressed up against the mattress. And she was wrapped up in the blankets, so she slowly suffocated. But in the end, there were five different agencies, including the U.S., uh, that all, and they all determined that she suffocated in in the mattress. And, like, I, just, I, I find that hard to believe. I find, I hard find to believe that too. very hard to believe. Because, okay, hear, hear me out, hear me mm-hmm. out. My thoughts are not going to make sense, but listen to me. So, if she, okay, those nine days that mm-hmm. she was gone, allegedly wedged in between the bed, you're telling me for those nine days she wasn't dead? She was only oh, dead no. for three? No, that's what doesn't make sense. She had to have died because she was vocal. How, when the nannies came into the room... She already had to have been dead, or else she she would have made noise and the nannies would have heard her. 
And they would have saved her. So then that just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. The Autopsy time frame makes yeah. no sense. It makes no sense. Oh my god, I need a Google pictures. Please hold. Because I'm stressed out. And like like we said, like oh, what did we say? A lot of, we said a lot of things. <laughs> we I don't said, know. We, yeah, we said a lot of things. Uh wow, what did we say? We said something. Oh yeah. Oh, we sure we, did. We, oh, we, we said, said a lot. lot of things. Um, but it doesn't add up because god I hate this yeah look there's like okay so there's stains everywhere Mm -hmm. Uh, I wish I could send this to you so you can see what I'm seeing send it through his I don't know how to work computers oh okay Uh, oh wait look look check that out okay I'm so sorry I'm illiterate computer Computer illiterate. That's fine. Like we said, a small girl, you know, super tiny, can't really move on her own. And we're expected to believe that she, like, flipped herself around in the bed between two pillows that were still in their place and, like, rolled herself up in blankets and then dove in head first in between the mattress and, and. the footboard? I don't know. So did did she land sideways or was she like upside down type of type she, of thing? She sideways. There's actually videos of the moment where they found her uh-huh. because uh, the forensic specialists uh, they were like taking down measurements and they were like measuring the bed and they started like moving the blankets and then they they see her body like and like they start screaming like they beat her bro and like you know because. They kept saying, bro, they beat her. And like, for the Spanish speakers, he, they literally said, la madriaron, way. <laughs> I was like, whoa, okay. Uh, but uh, it just doesn't make sense. She's just, so, so, like, her head was wedged completely where she couldn't even move it? Because obviously she wouldn't be able to move it then, supposedly, if she's wedged. Yeah, right? her face was kind of, like, facing towards the ground. Okay. was wedged. You know, but then, but then they said they she died with her fingers in her mouth, right? Yeah. So then, how was she able to move then to put her fingers into her mouth? Discrepancies, man. Look, I sent you the link. I don't know if it'll send you, but the, how she was, um, how she ended up like laying, I guess, mm-hmm. and how she was found. Yeah. But if this is the case, she had to have died some sometime between. When her mom put her to bed and 8 a.m. when the nannies went to go get her. She wasn't alive past 8 a.m. the next day. How do you wedge yourself like that? That just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm seeing those pictures now. Yeah, that's weird, right? That doesn't even... That doesn't even make sense, like, how nobody could see her. Yeah. Well, like, the blanket, the way they had it, it was, like... Like, kind of like hotel rooms where you stuff... Uh, you put them underneath. Yeah, under the mattress. And that's how, like, the nannies, like, would make remake the beds. But also, this is a dead body. It's a decomposing body. Yeah. I mean, no one smelt it. Smel- whoever smelt it, it dealt it. <laughs> like, you know, if a mouse dies in your attic, you smell it all over your house. You got a little hand. Aww. Poor little girl. 
that, that doesn't make sense to me at all. It does seem like it's they pretty much they they fucking killed her. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're just gonna misalign them. They fucking killed. Her. They did it. They did it. Yeah, there's no doubt in my mind for fucking sure. Yeah. I it's it's so it was, it, it was probably either. I mean, it obviously could be a bunch of things, but what I think it probably is, is they just didn't want to deal with her anymore. And it's yeah, sad to yeah. say that they just did not want to deal with her anymore. And that's sad because, like, I mean, I, I don't know if this is going to sound fucked up, but she looks normal yeah, in, in yeah. this picture. She doesn't look like she's, like, mentally handicapped or anything. She looks like she's fine. Yeah, yeah. she's this little beautiful little girl who, like, needed her parents. And I feel like they're the ones that fucked her over. That's like yeah. terrible. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Oh, what if it was the the dude that that was was fucking banging the the mother? Oh my god, we fucking cracked the case. Yeah, we did it. That's it. It's solved. Oh my god, let's fly to Mexico. Let's open this baby up. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, but yeah, that's all we have for you today. This infuriating tale with drama, death, infidelity. Despair. Mental uh, illness. Mental illness. Blankets. Nannies. Beds. Pillows. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's it for our kill. Yeah. What do you have for us today? What do I have? I'll tell you what I got. Okay. Okay. So I don't know if you ever heard of this case. Uh, it's called the Velisca Axe Murders. Yes. I uh, love it. No, I've never heard of this. Oh my God. You're in for a treat. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> no, wait, for real. You never heard of it? No. Oh, your innocent little mind. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So the Velisca axe murders occurred between the evening of June 9th, 1912, and the early morning of June 10th, 1912, in the town of Velisca in southwestern Iowa. The Moore family consisted of parents Josiah B., he was age 54 at the time, and then Sarah Montgomery, who was 39, and her four children. Uh, Josiah, I believe, was a stepfather. I believe I could be I could be completely wrong, but anyways, um, <laughs> their their four children consisted of Herman Montgomery, who was eleven, Mary Catherine, who was ten, Arthur Boyd, who was seven, and Paul Vernon, who was five years old. They were an affluent family, and the Moors were well known and well liked in their community. They were very popular because they had money. Oh, I'm seeing similarities here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you do. Yeah. So on June 9th, 1912, Mary Catherine Moore invited Ina May, who is eight years old, and Lena Gertrude Stillinger, who is 12, to spend the night at her home. That evening, the visiting girls and the Moore family attended the Presbyterian Church, where they participated in the Children's Day program, which Sarah Moore had coordinated. After the program eight ended at around 9.30 p.m., the Moores and the Stillinger sisters walked to the Moores' house, arriving between 9.45 and 10 p.m. <clears throat> okay, so at 7 a.m. the next day, Mary Peckham, the Moores' neighbor, became concerned after she noticed that the Moore family had not come out to do their morning chores. Peckham knocked on the Moores' door. When nobody answered, she tried to open the door and discovered that it was locked. Peckham let the Moore's chickens out and called Ross Moore, Josiah Moore's brother. Like Peckham, Moore received no response when he knocked on the door and shouted. He unlocked the front door with his copy of the house key. While Peckham stood on the porch, Moore went into the parlor and opened the guest bedroom door, where he found Ina and Lena Stillinger's bodies on the bed. What? 
Moore immediately told Peckham to call Hank Horton, Velisca's primary peace officer, who arrived shortly thereafter. Horton's search of the house revealed that the entire Moore family and the two Stillinger girls had been bludgeoned to death. The murder weapon was an axe belonging to Josiah, and it was found in a guest room when the Stillinger sisters were found. Doctors concluded that the murders had taken place between midnight and 5 a.m. Two spent cigarettes in the attic suggested that the killer or killers patiently waited in the attic until the Moore family and the Stillinger guests were asleep. Oh, fuck. Yeah, I know. That that always creeps me out because I've seen a lot of cases where there was like... The killer saw... the house all along? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that, that scares me because like, I don't know if you ever saw this... Um, I saw like two cases similar to that. There was one that recently happened where this chick was noticing that like food was missing inside her refrigerator. Hell oh no. And then she opened up her closet and there was like a, a like a bum like sleeping in her closet. God. <laughs> yeah. A, bu- a transient. A transient. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, so uh damn it, I lost my space. Uh, <laughs> Okay, uh, so doctors concluded that the murders had taken place. Oh, I already read that. Two spent cigarettes in the attic suggested that the killer or killers. Oh, I already read that part too. Uh, <laughs> Josiah received more blows from the axe than any other victim, and his face had been cut to such an extent that his eyes were missing. What? Wow. They used the blade of an axe on Josiah while using the blunt end on the rest of the victims. So he, he, Josiah basically took most of the damage because uh, they actually used the blade side and then the rest of the family, they just used like the, the blunt end. So they used like the bottom of the axe. Wow. Their heads in. They proceeded into the children's room and bludgeoned Herman, Catherine, and Arthur and Paul in the head in the same manner as their parents. They returned to the master bedroom to inflict more blows on the elder moors, knocking over a shoe that had filled with blood. Before moving downstairs to the guest bedroom and killing Ina and Lena. Investigators believed that all of the victims except for Lena Stillinger had been asleep when murdered. They thought that she was awake and tried to fight back as she was found lying crosswise on the bed with a defensive wound on her arm. Aww. Lena's nightgown was pushed up to her waist and she was wearing no undergarments leading to law enforcement speculation that the killer or killers sexually molested her or attempted to do so. Um, Coward, what, this was 1912, you said? Yes, 1912. So, oh, I guess they couldn't do, like, like, what is it called, like, a rape rape kit? Yeah, no, they didn't really have, like, any forensic, like, type of, like, you know, testing back then. Yeah, there, there wasn't anything. It was just basically, like, oh, well, you know, it was, like, Ghost did it or something, you know, it was either murders because it was 1912, so they weren't really because I don't even think DNA evidence like didn't become a thing until like what the late 80s, I think. Yeah, right. So, because it's actually kind of fairly new if you think about it, still. Interesting. Okay, okay, sorry, sorry, continue. No, you're fine. You're curious. (laughs) I sure am because I was like, what's happening? (laughs) So, over time, many possible suspects emerged, including a man who was a reverend named George Kelly. Um, then there was another one named Frank F. Jones, William Mansfield, Loving Mitchell, and Henry Lee Moore, who has no relation, just coincidentally has the same last name. George Kelly was tried twice for the murder. The first ended in a hung jury, 
while the second trial ended in an acquittal. Other suspects in the investigation were also exonerated. Starting with the first one, his name was Andrew Sawyer. Every transient and otherwise unaccounted for stranger was a suspect in the murders. One suspect was a man named Andy Sawyer. No real evidence links Sawyer to the crime, but his name came up often in grand jury testimonies. According to Thomas Dyer of Burlington, Iowa, a bridge foreman and a pile driver for the Burlington Road, Andy Sawyer approached his crew in Creston at 6 a.m. on the morning the murders were discovered. Sawyer was clean-shaven and wearing a brown suit when he arrived. His shoes were covered in mud and his pants were wet nearly to his knees. He asked for employment, and as Dyer needed an extra man, he was given a job on the spot. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Irene. Yeah. They did background checks back yeah. then, I take it. Nope. Dyer testified that later that evening when the crew reached Fortinale, Iowa, Sawyer purchased a newspaper and went off by himself to read it. The newspaper carried a front-page account of the Velisca murders, and according to Dyer, Sawyer was much interested in it. Dyer's crew complained that Sawyer slept with his clothes on and was anxious to be by himself. Mm-hmm. They were also uneasy that Sawyer slept with his axe next to him. Hello? <laughs> he often talked of the Velisca murders and whether or not the killer had been apprehended. He reportedly told Dyer that he had been in Velisca that Sunday night and had heard of the murders. Afraid of being taken as a suspect, he had left and gone to Creston. Dyer was suspicious and turned him over to the sheriff on June 18, 1912. Dyer later testified that prior to the sheriff's arrival, he walked up behind Sawyer. He was rubbing his head with both hands and suddenly jumped up and said to himself, I will cut your goddamn heads off. (laughs) At the same time, he made striking motions with the axe and began hitting the piles in front of him. Dyer's son, J.R., testified that one day, as the crew drove through Velisca, Sawyer told him he would show J.R. where the man who killed the Moore family got out of town. He said the man that did the job jumped over a manure box, which he pointed out about one-half blocks away, and then showed where he crossed the railroad track. J.R. said there were footprints in the soggy ground north of the embarkment. Sawyer told J.R. to look on the other side of the car and said he would show him an old tree where the murderer stepped into the creek. According to J.R. Dyer, he looked over and saw such a tree south of the track about four blocks away. Sawyer was dismissed as a suspect in the case when officials learned that he could prove he had been in Oliska, Iowa on the night of the murders. He had been arrested for vagrancy there, and the Oliska sheriff recalled putting him on a train to send him away at approximately 11 p.m. that evening, so that's why they acquitted him. The next one is Reverend George Kelly. Kelly was an English-born traveling minister in the town on the night of the murders. Kelly was described as peculiar, reportedly having suffered a mental breakdown as an adolescent. As an adult, he was accused of peeping and several times asking young women and girls to pose nude for him. Oh, no. (laughs) So he is basically a diddler, pretty much. He he was pretty much known as a known, like, diddler. He was famous. He was (laughs) (laughs) world-renowned. Sex Uh, of Oh, my God. Pretty much. On June 8th, 1912, he came to visit Velisca to teach at the Children's Day Services, which, if you remember, the Moore family attended on June 9th, 1912. I don't like that. He left town between 5 a.m. and 5.30 a.m., just after the murder. On June 10th, 1912, hours before the bodies were discovered, 
Reverend Kelly had confessed to the murders in court, but the jury didn't believe his confession. In the weeks that followed, he displayed a fascination with the case and wrote many letters to the police, investigators, and family of the deceased. This aroused suspicion, and a private investigator wrote back to Reverend Kelly asking for the details that the minister might know about the murders. Kelly replied with great detail, claiming to have heard sounds and possibly witnessed the murders. In 1914, two years after the murders, Kelly was arrested for sending obscene material through the mail. He was sexually harassing a woman who applied for a job as his secretary. Oh, wait, 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 wait,
Miss A.J. Burnham, were found dead in Colorado Springs, murdered by axes. The Colorado Springs police found it difficult to believe that the same person could per, um, perpetrate, perpetrate, the fuck is wrong with me, a similar crime in a city as in the Velisca murders. Bed sheets were used to cover the windows to prevent passerbys from looking in. At the Moore house, the murderer hung aprons and skirts to cover the windows. As in the murders in Velisca, the murderer in Colorado Spring wiped the blood off his axe and covered the heads of the victims with bedclothes. Interesting. Mansfield was also the prime suspect of the Burns Detective Agency of Kansas City and Detective James Newton Whisk Wilkerson, who suggested that he was a cocaine addict serial killer. Wow. According to contemporary news reports, Wilkerson believed Mansfield was responsible for the axe murders of his wife, infant child, father-in-law, and mother-in-law in Blue Island, Illinois, on July 5, 1914, two years after the Vliska murders. The axe murders committed in Paula, Kansas, four days before the Vliska murders, and the murders of Jenny Peterson and Jenny Miller in Aurora, Illinois. According to Wilkerson's investigation, all of the murders were committed in precisely the same manner, indicating that the same man probably committed them. Wilkerson stated that he could prove that Mansfield was present in each of the differing crime scenes on the night of the murders. In each murder, the victims were hacked to death with an axe, and the mirrors in the homes were covered. A burning lamp with the chimney off was left at the foot of the bed, and a basin in which the murder was washed was found in the kitchen. In each case, the murderer avoided leaving fingerprints by wearing gloves, which Wilkerson believed was strong evidence that the man was Mansfield, who knew his fingerprints were on file at the Federal Military Prison at Lavenworth. Wilkerson managed to convince a grand jury to open up an investigation in 1916, and Mansfield was arrested and brought to Montgomery County from Kansas City. Payroll records, however, provided an alibi that placed Mansfield in Illinois at the time of the Velisca murders. He was released for a lack of evidence and later won a lawsuit he brought against Wilkerson and was arrested 2,200, was arrested, was awarded $2,225. Wilkerson believed that pressure from Jones resulted not only in Mansfield's release, but also in the subsequent arrest and trial of Reverend Kelly. However, R.H. Thorpe, a restaurant owner from Shenandoah, Iowa, identified Mansfield as a man he saw the morning after the Velisca murders boarding a train at Colonrinda. This man said he had walked from Velisca. If proven to be true, this testimony would disprove Mansfield's alibi. Furthermore, it was reported that a Miss Vina Thompson of Marshalltown was on her way to testify that she heard three men in the woods plotting the murder of the Moore family a short time before the killings. Oh, what the hell? So, basically, they had nobody to pin the crime on. They had no suspects. Well, they had their suspects, but they basically all were acquitted. So, they eventually just... It's an open case. It's still yeah. never been solved to this day. Oh, what the hell? Oh, wow. And that is the end of my case. What? It's still... Can, Ken, I'm surprised you haven't heard of this because supposedly the house is like super haunted. No, mm -hmm. I really. Yeah, supposedly yeah. the house is super haunted. And you can hear like screams, like from the, like the girls. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
I've never heard of this. Yeah, oh. there's like a tour in it. There's a movie. Well, I mean, there's like a couple like little stupid little indie movies about it. But I believe, I don't know if it was Ghost Hunters or Ghost Adventures. Which is the one that has that douchebag guy that fucking yells? <laughs> How dare you? That's Ghost Adventures. <laughs> oh, you like Ghost Adventures? I Ew. love Ghost Adventures. I don't, I don't like that guy because he's like such a bro. He's like... Come out here, fucking ghost! <laughs> Fight me! <laughs> like, you know, it's like that's so stupid. I, I started laughing the first time I saw him. I was like, "Wow, this guy's a fucking douche." I like cite him for everything. Like everything I do, I'm like Zach Bagans did this. <laughs> what's his name? Yeah, yeah. Zach Bagans. So um, then, who's who's that guy then? That I see a lot of chicks are like super like getting all hot and bothered for. He's like um. He has glasses on. He has a beanie. I think he recently just did like a, a thing where he was staying the night at like the demon house or some shit like that. Yeah, that's Zach Bagans. That's him. Yeah. yeah. He looks so different now. I know he's he's intellectual. He has glasses <laughs> now. He, yeah, he looks like a little art house dude now. He looks like a little hipster guy. Like yeah, an art. He looked like Waldo or something. He retired the tab out shirts. Now he just wears black. <laughs> yeah, see, because now he he that's why I didn't like him. He's like so douchey. He's just like talking tough to like. Ghosts. Yeah. Ghosts. Ghosts. Gonna fucking fight you, bro. <laughs> like, come out here and fight me. The ghost doesn't have beef with you. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably why they never wanted to come out. He's probably. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Like, why are you attacking me, bro? I feel so fucking attacked right now. I came here to chill, honestly, and you're just coming in here ruining my vibe. <laughs> the vibe is so fucking wrong. I'm not doing shit for you tonight. <laughs> oh, I can't believe that's him. So that's his name, Zach Baggins. Bagans. Oh, Bagans? That still yeah. it sounds doesn't sound better. No, it sure doesn't, but yeah. Uh, it sounds like a like fucking hobbit or something. Wow. Yeah? You went wrong? Yeah. So, so wait, wait. Who, who is it that's like super into him? Ken or Dan? Ken. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's literally always on. Every time we're recording, <laughs> Ghost Adventures is on. Yeah. Every time. <laughs> like, I need my background noise. I'm like, alright. <laughs> Yeah, that's no, I, I like Ghost Hunters more. Ghost wow. Hunters more. Were, I, I felt like they're more legit. Ghost Hunters was OG because they came yeah. first. But yeah, I just I couldn't stand Ghost Hunters. I just, I just couldn't. Tonight, tonight we're gonna be investigating <laughs> the Craigslist ghost. The Craigslist ghost. <laughs> Would you guys ever do that though? Would you guys ever like go to like a haunted place and stay there? Hell yeah! We actually have. Well, I mean, we have tentative plans. Like we're, we haven't really planned it out, but we want to go stay at like a haunted hotel. Like there's one in Galveston here, Galveston, Texas. It's called the Galvez. Yeah. And that was like an hour away from us. We could stay there. And then uh, there's also the Maker in, in San, San Antonio. Antonio. That one's haunted. And then, like, in Texas, there's also Goatman's Bridge. Oh, yeah, I really want to go to yeah. Goatman's Bridge. Goatman's Bridge. Yeah. Yeah. Get a little spooky. Get a little possessed, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. All right, well, I think that's going to do it. So thank you for joining me on an episode of Strange Talk. So yeah. where, where, where could... So if, if any of the listeners out there enjoy your content, where could they find it? Tell me. They can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Podbean. Uh, we're Kills and Chills. Um, they can also follow us on follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Kills underscore Chills. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
So you guys heard that? You guys better fucking do it. Oh my god. Oh, wow. So aggressive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, cuz they got it. They got it. They got to fucking follow you, you guys. Got it or they won't listen. <laughs> exactly, or they won't. You gotta, be, you gotta be stern with people these days. Oh, you, yeah. gotta, you gotta be like fucking the uh, what's his name, Zach Baggins or what's his yeah. name? Yeah. Get out, get out of here. Fucking listen to them ghosts. Get out of here. <laughs> get out of your demons. <laughs> oh my god. So he's not like that anymore, though. I mean, he still is douchey. He just looks less douchey. Yeah, <laughs> uh, then I'm not gonna give him a shot again. Oh, come dead. on, it's yeah, so I, I can't. If he's still like that, like, come out here, fuck. I'm not afraid of you. He talks to him, he's like, alright, bro. <laughs> like, <laughs> Does he really call him bro? Yeah! <laughs> oh my god. I That's, love it. Uh, uh, whatever floats your boat, then, I guess. Heck yeah. yeah. Alright, well, thank you guys for joining me. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I enjoyed it. We're gonna have to do this again sometime. Yes. Exactly. We shall. We shall do it again. Sure yeah. shall. All right then. Take care, guys. Okay. Bye. bye. bye.